The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, more questions than answers as Chelsea start the year with a draw at the city ground. We round up all the transfer news as the Blues get ready for a busy January and look ahead to the first of this week's doubleheader against Manchester City. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out at Cobham. A happy new year, listener. Maybe not from a Chelsea perspective, but hopefully in the rest of your world, things are good. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea correspondent, Simon Johnson. Hi, Simon. Hello again, Matt. It's been a long time since we've conversed. Yeah, dealing in hours. New Year, same old problems. Mm, Yeah, uh, that's for Chelsea, not for Simon and I's friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sam Parkin's back with us too. Sam, Happy New Year to you. Are you well? Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Um, Martin Tyler reminded me that the only time I travelled with Chelsea's first team was Chelsea's last visit to the city ground. Wow. And I geared myself up to be making my first team bow. And I essentially laid out the sandwiches and the boots. And didn't I'm sure you did a bloody good job at it as well. <laughs> and everybody was, was well nourished. Uh, February 1999. That was that one. Was. Mikel Forsell scored, didn't he? He certainly did. I think Bjarni Goldbeck did as well. But we're not doing a quiz today, so don't retain that information. We are going to talk about the first game of 2023, though. We'll do that after this. Mr. Pulisic. Little shimmy. Awkward ball. Goodness me, it must be it is. Little bit lucky, but Sterling's there. And after a good forest spell, Chelsea in front. Gibbs White delivers. A bad corner. Havertz got there. Bolly. It's a miss. It's an equaliser. Serge Aurier buys Forest level. And I think you'd have to say, on the balance of the 17 minutes we've seen in this second half, it's been coming. I mean, it's a, it's a hard-earned point against the team that's uh, set up well. I think uh, credit to them. They used the uh, the atmosphere and certainly second half put us under a lot of a lot of pressure. The first part of the second half, our performance level wasn't good enough. I don't think to take the to take the three points. Well, what a time it was to be at the City Ground, but to be sat directly behind Simon was very heaven. Uh, here's a straight out of Cobham first. It's a voice note double header. Well, Simon, we're just watching the players shaking hands and exchanging pleasantries. At full time, one all. Uh, did it flatter Chelsea? Definitely. Um, it was a very poor performance yet again away from home. Uh, Forrest were the better side for pretty much most of the game. Uh, Chelsea did capitalise on a bit of luck uh, with the opening goal, which sort of came against the run of play. And I think I made reference on our WhatsApp chat that, that one of us may be a bit disappointed later. Uh, and even though the game's finished one all, actually, we might both be disappointed because I think. I think you must feel a little bit hard done by in terms of the one-all scoreline. 80% possession in the first half for Chelsea. How come Forrest turned it round so surprisingly in the second? Because at the break, you're thinking, well, it's quite Chelsea-like to be 1-0 up and maybe not taking chances, but at least they're in total control of the game. Then it totally changed. No, I, just, I just think um, Forrest perhaps realised there wasn't much to fear about this Chelsea team. And, and actually started to push forward in, in, into Chelsea's half a lot more. And, I mean, Chelsea's back line. I mean, I make this joke on a regular basis, but I think I could almost 
sort of give them a, a run for their money. They're, they're so slow, and, they, and basically, Forrest were on not just the back line, actually, the midfield as well. They, were, they never gave them a moment to breathe. And the ball, ball being played out from Chelsea was poor too. They kept losing it, and Forrest would, would break on them. And, and to be honest, I mean, the goal was coming. Even, obviously, Gibbs White, that tremendous shot against the crossbar. You thought, oh, maybe, maybe Chelsea are going to get lucky and, and nick this, but... But no, it thoroughly deserved equaliser. Poor defending from another set piece. Another example of uh, deficiency for Chelsea this season. And it is worrying that it feels like the same old story. There's been the World Cup break, but nothing's really changed. Right, I'm going to head downstairs and find Graham Potter. Shall we carry on this conversation tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to sound a lot more upbeat in the morning, trust me. Well, we'll get upbeat, Simon shortly um nice bit of atmos in the back there you might hear some nice elevator music as well that's because simon's in a hotel lobby at the moment so that's what's soundtracking uh, this podcast we'll get upbeat simon soon but sam you weren't fortunate enough to be at the world famous city ground how did how did this come across on telly was this chelsea as we mentioned kind of dominant in the first half but totally limping attack was there there some other reason you think that things dropped off so much and they turned what looked like a comfortable win into a hanging on for a point just coasted really in the second half, didn't they? When you'd expect them to to go for the kill, and I just think there's a lack of there's a lack of real form in the the front players, which maybe shouldn't be the case on the back of the World Cup. We saw a little bit of an impact from Ziyech off the the bench, but I'm scratching around here. But you would think that some of these forward players would be a bit reinvigorated. I had a little look this morning. Nobody scored back-to-back in the Chelsea squad this season. Um, I say that because I think is Havertz going to finally get a bit of a consistent run together? Is he going to start scoring back-to-back games? Only Sterling's done it, sorry. Uh, He did it earlier in the season. That's the only one. And when you compare to Manchester City and Liverpool, you know, they've got players who have done it copious times and and gone on goal-scoring little runs. So, yeah, I never felt that. Chelsea looked like creating chances. In the second half, the graphic came up on Sky. They hadn't had a touch in the Forest box until the latter stages. They managed six, of which three were added on time. And only that one kind of half attempt from Aubameyang approaching an attempt in the second period. So it was really limp. Forest improved. I thought their intensity in the middle of the pitch won the ball back. And the the involvement of a one-year... uh, increased and he kind of ran towards goal a little bit more and in between Azpilicueta and that caused you know Chelsea a bit more of a problem but I thought Simon's point about the pace was a, a pertinent one in his, um, his summing up there really because Chelsea's line was still distinctly high. Forrest had that abundance of pace particularly through Brennan Johnson I thought it was a risky strategy and they got away with it on a on a number of occasions and yes it didn't lead to the concession of a goal uh, but the set piece problem remains as well so I think it's a point it's a point gain because it's a it's a, a game they should have lost. Simon you you made that point to me probably 10-15 minutes into the game that you know Forrest were basically just waiting to play beyond Chelsea's back line which was too high up and, and consisted of three players well into their 30s and at the other end they just seemed to say well let them play in front of you because they're not going to do what we're going to do and it's very easy to contain it's a concern if you know I can spot that and Chelsea don't react to it isn't it there's, there's been a lot of criticism of Graham Potter we've had people tweeting us saying uh, you know it does he belong at this level Andrew says he's only got one shot of this and he's shying away from making big decisions but that is a legitimate concern isn't it if, if he can't notice that in game and, and change it or am I being a bit too harsh 
No, I mean, the only caveat I'd, I'd, I'd give Graham Potter is that this is a problem that we've seen earlier this season under Thomas Tuchel. I mean, I was sitting there watching that game, speaking to our, our Nottingham Forest colleague, Paul Taylor, that early in the first half, I actually don't think Chelsea were in that much control in the first half. I thought it was very much a rope-a-dope. Just as Dynamo Zagreb played against Chelsea when Tuchel was in charge and, and they lost. And I was just sitting there going... that. It's happening again. You know, you could see Koulibaly, who also played in that in that Zagreb game, pushing high on the pitch, sort of being out of position. Then you've got Azpilicueta, who's obviously not got the legs he used to, playing on his right-hand side. So that was a... You could tell that was a, an avenue that Forrest were, were targeting and, and hoping to capitalise on. Then, of course, you've got a 38-year-old centre-back who does a wonderful job, but, but you don't really want to see him beyond the halfway line. Um, Cucurella isn't the quickest. Plus, you've got Jorginho, the, one of the, the slowest midfielders in the game, acting as your protection. You're just going, this is a recipe for disaster. It was actually, um, you know, Kepa came to the rescue on a few occasions and, and a few last-ditch tackles got them out of trouble. But it was very disappointing. And, and what surprised me more was that having gone a goal up, and I think I said this to you, Matt, that why don't Chelsea now bring Forrest on to them and, and sit back and say, well, come on then, you show us what you've got and, and basically reverse the game plans. But no, Chelsea kept falling for it, doing the same thing. And even when they were in possession, it was very slow and ponderous, passing it, passing it, for passing sake. Forrest just would wait for the pass to be rolled into someone like Mason Mount or Sterling. They'd have someone on them straight away, nick the ball and they were off and um, the only sort of surprising thing was that Forrest didn't score from one of the counter-attacks it, it actually came from from a set piece as we've already mentioned yeah, just on the on the setup and you know I'm by no means coming to the defence of that performance or the the tactical setup but looking at the touches this morning Aspilicueta and Cucurea I don't think affected things really at all in the final third and that, yes that just accentuates the the loss of of Reese James and of Ben Chilwell on the opposite side, but maybe that was just just in case you know Forrest did break like that at times. That the two fullbacks were just a little bit more safe in their positioning. I know that they're not going to provide the same ammunition that the two guy aforementioned guys are going to do so, but I just felt that Azpilicueta and Kukurea so often last night looked like the outballs. 2v1s in the wide areas because that forest setup I thought was really narrow. The three midfield players really narrow. The two wide forwards came infield as well. If the ball could have been moved to Pulisic and Sterling or to the fullbacks, that was an avenue for Chelsea. But I felt there was a reluctance for the two fullbacks to get forward. And again, it just underlines, it just underlines what a dream it is when you have Reese James in the, in the side. Uh, he can take care of that whole side. He can, pick the right pass every time he gets it. He can provide. We know that. I don't think Chelsea had that threat last night and it was crying out for it. Yeah, we should keep caveating it with the fact that things might very well be different if Chelsea had Reese James, Wesley Fofana, Ben Chilwell, Anangolo Conte and maybe even Armando Breuer available too. Um, before we move on from this game, Simon, I mentioned the, the Potter chat. Obviously, social media tends to, to go into meltdown when, when Chelsea lose a game. He is not under pressure, is he? I think he's under pressure, but but not under pressure for his job. Um, I think you know he, he would accept he's under pressure. I mean, one win in seven, 
um, is not good enough. Um, he concedes that. Uh, what I found quite interesting, some of his answers just aren't helping. I don't think in in, in press conferences. Um, I even I even put it to him in the post match press conference. Are you worried about how Chelsea seem to be bullied too easily, you know, especially away from home? We've seen it a lot this season that when the crowd are up and teams are in Chelsea's faces, just like Forest were, that they wilt. And he gave this he gave this rather unconvincing reply, well, you know, we weren't bullied at Aston Villa when we won there. And I was just like, well, if memory serves, Chelsea were absolutely battered and got away with it, basically. Um, that maybe he, he was trying to to give a positive answer to a negative question and, and sort of point to a time where they won despite being up against it but it is a tough time for him but certainly all the noises I've been hearing is, is that uh, you know there's no question about his job um, it's far too early for that he was given a long contract for a reason this isn't his squad ideally the World Cup break he would have had all his players available to work with but of course they were coming back in dribs and drabs I, I just get the feeling that sadly I, I just feel this is 2015-16 revisited and I think it's almost like, it sounds so defeatist, <laughs> but having lived through that season, it feels like this one is, is almost like a write-off and that we won't sort of really get to start to see Potter's Chelsea until next season. I can totally get why Chelsea fans won't accept that because it isn't good enough at the moment. But I just feel that it's just been one of those perfect storms of a, of a year in terms of 2022 and of a season. It's just... What could go wrong has gone wrong. Um, and the performance yesterday totally ruined my return to Nottingham Forest. I told, I bored you about this, Matt. That, that, that was the venue of my first ever game as a report of any kind for Student Radio Nottingham. It was, uh, Forest v Chelsea back then. John Spencer with the winner. And I, I saw the goal last night. I made sure I put it on YouTube. And it was a beautiful ball by Dennis Wise. Lovely touch by John Spencer. Goes round the keeper. I think it was Mark Crossley, puts it in. And I thought, that's exactly the kind of quality that was missing from Chelsea's performance in 2023. And in 2023, Chelsea are seven points behind fourth place Manchester United. But the good news is they've got Manchester City next. Uh, We'll look ahead to that game later. But first, let's talk transfers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So David Datro Fafana was in attendance at the City Grounds on Sunday. Uh, he has now signed, sealed and delivered his move to Chelsea. So let's move on to Andre Santos, Simon. 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder coming from Vasco da Gama. Sent off in his final league appearance for them, but eight goals in 32 league games this season. Is he going to go the, the Cassaday route of straight into the, the under-21s rather than be around the first team, would we assume? I think um, they'll take a look at him in view of perhaps loaning him out um, straight away. And who knows, he might be used in some form of conversation with likes of Benfica, given that Chelsea are 
talking to Benfica at the moment about Enzo Fernandez. Uh, maybe there could be some form of okay, you know, give us him and we'll loan you this guy. And because it, you know, I I I, I can't see. Um, Santos coming straight into Chelsea's midfield. If Chick Wimmerker can barely get a kick, um, Casadai hasn't had a kick. Yeah, it, it's asking a lot for him to come straight into that midfield. So, yeah, I'm expecting. I'll take a take a few weeks to take stock of the situation. Who knows? They may they may even, um, as you kind of inferred there, do a Casadai, let him settle in, get a flavour of the club, um, play for the under 21s for the rest of the season. And then look at his future in the summer again. Um, it certainly worked, paid dividends for Cassidy, Amari Hutchison, Lewis Hall, you know, just being around the place and then sort of going over to train with the senior team. But, um, but yeah, like I said, I, I can't see him playing for the senior team anytime soon. So he'll probably play against City in a few days' time. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right. Well, you mentioned Benfica there, Simon. So that takes us on to Enzo Fernandez. Here's a tweet from Freddie who asks, is it just me that thinks over 100 million for Enzo Fernandez is mad? I'm seeing the reports and feel like the guy in Soylent Green running around yelling, he's had one good tournament and six months at Benfica. And everyone just carries on regardless. Uh, now, Freddie, at that point, hadn't read your excellent piece on Chelsea's transfer targets. Uh, and had he done, he would have been comforted by the fact that you're reporting that Chelsea are not planning to pay the full release clause. Is that right? Because they don't think That's there's right. too much of a crowded market. That's right. Um, they, they really like the player, um, obviously. Um, came away from the World Cup um, saying that's that's the number one midfield target. But with no intention of meeting the release clause, they don't they don't see him um, as valued that highly in terms of that that figure. Um, they have a value in mind, and pressure I'm getting, and and I got reassurances last night. The stance hadn't changed. Um, that's why we've been waiting a bit longer than most to start writing about the Enzo Fernandez situation. We wanted to make sure that what we were saying was a hundred percent. Um, we weren't going to get overexcited by all the reports coming out of Argentina and Portugal um, that some have run with, that, that the deal was imminent. But um, certainly at the time of writing, uh, there was no change. Um, Chelsea aren't going to be pressured, even despite like the poor performance at Forest. They're not going to be pressured into doing a, a deal they don't want to do. They have a value in mind. They're not going to go beyond that. There's also a belief at, uh, at Chelsea that no other club will meet that asking price um, so that that's another reason why they're, they're not too panicky. I mentioned the piece how they're close to or they expect to re-sign, and it's something that David Ornstein wrote recently too, they expect to re-sign N'Golo Conte soon, and they also feel that that takes a bit of the pressure off, knowing that that uncertainty is potentially going to be removed. Um, people will argue whether that does remove the uncertainty given Conte's injury record but you can kind of see what where they're coming from um, but there's a real possibility it could still get done this this month this really sounds like you know me you know just hedging my bets but it's true they're still talking to him so something could still happen this month although Benfica are loath for that to happen because they've got ambitions of their own but they do a deal now in view of signing him in the summer they revisit in the summer or he doesn't come at all when they go for other targets, which I list in the piece. So it's just one of those, that is the situation. As, as, as much as it sounds like I'm covering all my bases, that's exactly what Chelsea are thinking right now. Sam, 
What's the area that Chelsea most need to provide cover or get an upgrade for this month? In what, what position of the pitch would you be strengthening if you had to make one a priority? Oh my goodness. Um, right-hand side and a striker, probably. So a fill-in for Reese James and a fill-in for Breuer slash replacement for Aubameyang. Yeah, and you know we don't know if Fafana is going to be involved. I mean, seeing him there last night says that potentially he will be if he was going to be someone that was going to be playing in the 23s or going back out on loan, maybe uh, that gives you an inkling that he could be he could be involved, but we don't know, you know, if the scoring goals in Norway is going to translate immediately to the Premier League, especially at his age. But yeah, I'd still say a striker because going into this big game against Manchester City, do you persevere with Havertz? Do you give Aubameyang another opportunity who memory serves me right in the last high-profile big game against Arsenal at Stamford Bridge, he hardly touched the ball or, or certainly didn't have too many attempts. So it's a big conundrum, isn't it, right now? It, re- it really is. And that, and that, and that right-hand side, yeah, you need to try and get a little bit more depth there. But it sounds like the middle of the pitch is a priority. Maybe that's more of a long-term vision type thing. So, yeah, those two positions for me stand out amongst uh, a few problem areas right now. Uh, last potential incoming, and apologies for mangling his name, Benoit Badiashil. Hmm, 21-year-old left-sided French centre-half. Didn't Chelsea just spend 80 million quid on one of those, Simon, this summer? Ben Andrews pronounced it perfectly last night. <laughs> yeah, he's always been the better of the Chelsea TV the commentators. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know... <laughs> Questions will be asked, but at the same time, we've just spent first part of the show lamenting Chelsea's defence um, and the lack of pace. Um, and here's a young player that that is is highly rated, um, a cheaper option than Gavardio, um, a player that they really really liked, really wanted, negotiated for in the summer, decided to postpone talks to January. That's kind of backfired because he had a brilliant World Cup and. I think this is a, an ambition that Gavardio's a bit out of their range, certainly for this year. Koulibaly, it's not working. Fafana, uh, of course, he's played on the right side. He he He's always injured. I, I get this signing, as, as mad as it sounds, um, because they definitely need something. I'm going to confess, I haven't seen much of him, so I don't know how good he's going to be. But I can understand why they've decided to spend more money on yet another defender. Um, but my word, isn't it? Isn't it frightening? You just asked Sam there about or oh, what what position needs, and and you could basically list a number. Like <laughs> there's just this squad. Despite all the money they've spent in the summer, and of course they're spending now, it feels like a lot of surgery is required, both in and out, to make Chelsea competitive again. And of course, a lot of people. We'll think that the coach should be one of them. But as I said, that uh, that isn't on the agenda right now. What about outgoings? Anybody likely to leave this month? Well, Chelsea have the same problem as they've always faced, is that huge wages their players are on. I think if Zayek had his wish, he'd get a move, especially after his World Cup exploits. He's, he's not going to be a first-team regular, despite what happened in the World Cup. AC Milan have been um, interested loan with option to buy their usual nonsense of, of, of getting a Chelsea player without actually spending any money on them. 
Um, but the wages is an issue. It just feels like Chelsea always played, doesn't it? Like when it comes to outgoings, that they end up paying, like they end up going on loan on the cheap, and then they also end up paying the wages as well, <laughs> or for a chunk of it. And I did find it quite uh, quite rich that Romelu Lukaku uh, has done another interview one year on from the, the shambolic one whilst he was a Chelsea player. And um, there was no apology, no attempt to make amends to Chelsea fans, I noticed. There was uh, a complete lack of it. Um, but getting back to the getting back to your question, Pulisic is another one. But again, I think the same problem. Who's going to pay the asking price and who's going to meet his wages? Uh, it's going to be difficult. But at least they've had two... The Both of them had good World Cups and their interest interest in them is greater now than it was before the World Cup. All right. Well, this is a pretty depressing podcast. So let's continue that theme by previewing a game against an opponent that Chelsea have lost their last three games against without scoring. Games coming thick and fast for the Blues post-World Cup. Then the champions of England are in town on Thursday night as Chelsea take on Manchester City. The visitors come into this game having failed to beat Everton at home at the weekend. Sam, given what we've said about how Chelsea performed at Forest and the problems that they've had, are we are we going full balls out the bath here and, and mixing things up and putting Lewis Hall and Carney Chukwemeka and Amari Hutchinson and Conor Gallagher in and trying to freshen things up a, a bit? Or is that folly against a team like City and, and we should stick with the players who are underwhelming at the moment? I think there'll be changes, but you know, I'd, be, I'd more envisage there being wholesale changes or a few curveballs for the cup game. Um, I think you think you've got to be careful, haven't you? They're not unbeatable. Teams are taking points off them uh, at home this season. Newcastle scored three times against them, if memory serves me right. Um, Villa got a point, obviously beaten at Liverpool. So you've got to be at your optimum best, haven't you, to stand a chance and they're going to create opportunities. But they'll have to come up with a tactical plan this week. Uh, we knew that Thomas Tuchel tended to put that extra guy in midfield. It's a different setup now, but they'll they'll probably sit in a little bit more and, and maybe have to play a little bit more on the counter. But it's not the worst game, I would suggest. Um yes, you'd want a game that you can you can win comprehensively, but more times than not, Chelsea can rally themselves to some kind of performance. I'm thinking about Spurs at home here maybe. The Arsenal game didn't go to plan, but I'd expect a a much brighter performance than what we got last night. Uh, Simon, Lewis Hall obviously played really well at City uh, in the League Cup game, didn't he? So maybe he'll come in. We're, we're talking about the Chelsea defence. Somebody we didn't mention was Trevor Chalaber. Played pretty much every game, didn't he, before the World Cup break? He hasn't had a look-in since the players' return, which is odd given that he was one of the few first-teamers who was available to Graham Potter throughout the break. Do we know what's going on there? No. <laughs> my honest answer. Um, and also, he didn't come on, did he, against Forest? He'd sort of go, it's pretty staring you in the face. Speaking of, yeah, it's a delayed reaction uh, to your question from about half an hour ago. <laughs> you know, could what, what could Potter have done? Well, he could have brought on Trevor Chalibur, um to deal with that, that pace. Maybe, maybe he was worried about upsetting a few, you know, some of the players that, that would suffer by making that decision, whether it be Aspi or, um, or Koulibaly. But, you know, the team comes first. Chalibur has actually been one of Chelsea's better players this season. Maybe, maybe 
sort of well hopefully he, he's back in for the City game because Chelsea need they can't if they go into the, the, the City game with that that defence they'll get battered <laughs> oh it's such a cheery episode by the way this is why I got the, the hotel forget any sort of thing I said before about meeting someone I thought oh let, let's at least give the listeners some elevated music to sort of lighten the mood even well, the elevator words. music's been a nice distraction. I think what it sounded like there was a pair of flip-flops slapping against the floor as a guest it's, went off to it's the spa. spa music, yes. isn't it? Have you, got a little, yes. have you got a little jug of water with cucumber in it just to your right at a shot, Simon? Because it's definitely not lift music, is it? Yeah, and there's jacuzzi. Just You've got your little white <laughs> slippers on, haven't you? <laughs> Oh, yeah. those big money athletic contracts, eh? What they get you. Um, speaking of big money contracts, Sam, Raheem Sterling is Chelsea's top scorer and joint top assist provider, if that's a thing, um, so far this season. So why am I compelled to ask if he's been a good signing so far? Were we expecting even more from him? Am I being harsh? I mean, he's had to play at wing back a few times, which probably hasn't helped. Yeah, I think we're all expecting more, aren't we? That said, there was that flurry I referred to earlier of, of games and goals early part of the season when we were rubbing our hands together, weren't we? And we thought it was an inspired signing. But, you know, latterly, especially since Graham Potter's come in, the performances haven't been great. Brilliantly taken goal last night, but getting into some really good positions and so loose in possession last night. Um, I thought that went for Havertz as well. I thought Pulisic was slightly better. Yeah, there was there was one brilliant ball early on from um, Silva, left to right. Havertz was in a prime position to create something for Chelsea. And, so loose of his touch, Forrest nearly scored on the counter-attack. And I thought that went for Sterling as well in the first half. I mean, they were all passengers in the second period. But in the first half, when there was opportunities in the final third, when the passing was a bit crisper, so often the the final little bit of quality let them down, went astray. So absolutely, he'd be one that you wouldn't be astonished if was left out for the Manchester City game. Yes, it's his, his old club, but nobody's an automatic starter in those front positions right now. Something about being at home maybe might help, Simon. I'm just, I know it was Bournemouth, but I'm thinking back to how dynamic the front three looked against Bournemouth compared to, to how they looked against Forest. So, so maybe that will play into Sterling et al.'s favour on Thursday. Yeah, I, I like. I, let's let's go up, beat. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> who do you play, on, Simon? Who do you play on, down Simon. the middle? You can do this. You can do this, Simon. Uh, <laughs> who do you play down the middle, and how do you deal with Haaland? Well, you signed Ben Godfrey to deal with Harlan. That's what we've learned, haven't you? You just get him to wind him up. <laughs> yeah, just just right. go and batter him. Uh, get me out there. Uh, no, I, I think um, I sort of say this reluctantly that you almost that you go with the the same three that that did well against Bournemouth and disappointed against Forest because going back to the Bournemouth game, you, you did see sort of a connection between Sterling and Havertz. And Pulisic, you know, he shows some flashes, but Zayek will argue that, that he should get a start, but I'm just not sure I trust him to do the ugly side of the game. It's difficult to come up with answers, quite frankly. I, I, I'm really sort of, um, yeah, I try to be optimistic. I'm not. <laughs> it is one of those days, isn't it? It is, because you can do all the reading, you can look at all the statistics, you can watch the match over and over, but... We've been here before, haven't we, this season? So I, mean, I think I think what is what is vital, just generally, is that Chelsea start the game well. You get the feeling that the fans are close to turning um, in terms of expressing their 
disappointment is the polite way of putting it of what's going on. We remember it wasn't that long ago, for example, Maurizio Sarri, um, how the fans turn on him almost at this time of year. So I think it's my plea is sort of full on deaf ears before. I think it's important though that the, if they can, the supporters stay behind the team for as long as possible because. Yeah, it's going to be a tough night. And, and if they turn against the team, turn against Potter, I think it'll only get worse. Probably won't see Graham Potter chewing cigarettes on the touchline. Um, certainly be a bit of a character shift if he did that. <laughs> oh, Sam, you mentioned Erling Haaland and you made me look it up. He's already got more goals in the Premier League this season than four previous Golden Boot winners. So how are Chelsea going to stop him? I don't know. I wouldn't be sitting here if I had the answer. I don't know. There's part of me that thinks, do you get someone to get tight, to be physical, to rile him and have another centre-half slightly deeper, play the three and get someone to go and compete with him? I mean, everything would have been tried this season. I'm just uh, snowballing ideas here. But, you know, maybe having the extra one in there would alleviate a little bit of the the threat that he brings but I think everyone's tried haven't they to try and stop him his physical strength is such that he can just throw the most physical strong centre-halves to the deck nine times out of ten all types of goals so it's going to be tricky whoever gets whoever gets the nod I don't know if you go for that kind of game understanding that Thiago Silva brings in abundance the ability to read the game or do you go for Koulibaly who's more physical maybe Trevor Chalabers potentially got a bit of bit of both, hasn't he? Reads the game well and and, and can be physical and quick uh, as well. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a busy few days, and I'm sure they'll you know they'll they'll leave no stone unturned um, to come up with a tactical plan against you know probably still the best side in the in the division. Uh, give me a prediction, Simon. How much are Chelsea going to win by? Oh, four one. He's rarely wrong here. He's rarely wrong. <laughs> uh, I can't see it, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm going to go... Um, I'm, I'm going to use my reverse psychology. Hope this works. This is how, how desperate... It's, I'm going to go 3-0 City win. Wow. Sam? I'm going 1-1. Good performance, 1-1. That's just what I was thinking, 1-1. You know, there you go. There, there's, I'm going to say 2-1 Chelsea. Sod it. Let's throw caution to the wind. New well year, done. new me. Um, yeah. Whatever happens, we will react to it in our next show. That's going to be on Friday, not Thursday, given that the game is taking place on Thursday. That'll just about do it for this particularly cheery episode, though. Simon, why should Athletic subscribers be flocking towards the site to check out your work? <laughs> uh, for all my upbeat commentary. Uh, <laughs> I had to laugh because having told you in the voice note, I'll be much... I was joking, obviously, but I'll be much more... <laughs> optimistic in the morning I think I've been worse <laughs> I think sleeping on it has actually made me more downbeat um, but in terms of uh, what's to read at the moment um, I still want to sort of uh, give a shout out to my very serious read on Dermot Drummy which was published just for Christmas obviously deals with a very serious subject of, of mental health um, and, and spoke to a lot of key figures in the game that knew him very very well um, from Brendan Rodgers to Neil Bath to Eddie Newton um, Andy Myers etc um, and it's very serious subject um, which I found difficult to write but uh, 
hopefully I, I did the man justice. And in terms of um, what I'll be working on this week, of course, more of the transfer situation, um, trying to find out what's going on there. I will be covering the 3-0 defeat on Thursday night. So, um, yeah, can't wait. Uh, you can also check out uh, our friend Liam Toomey's piece in conjunction with Liam Tom about Benoit Badia-Shile and what he could potentially bring to Chelsea. Loads of other great content up there too. Head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod for all the latest offers for new customers. That's it for today, though. We will be back later in the week reviewing the Manchester City game previewing the Manchester City game and uh, a little bit more beside as well. Thanks for joining us today though. We'll speak to you later in the week. Bye for now. The Athletic.